and good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet. I'm here in the studio with Lauren Landis. Patty is socially distancing herself, taking the week off. And uh, our guest today is Todd Maria. He's the coach of the Lost Souls rugby football team. Todd, are you there? Hi, David. Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Hey, Todd. Oh. Hi, Leroy. And uh, I'm glad you joined us, uh, Todd. Uh, we were looking for an end-of-the-year guest, and you and I were chatting online a little bit, and I thought, oh, perfect end-of-the-year guest because you're doing something where most of us are using COVID as an excuse to take this time off from doing good things. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm glad to hear it. Um, you're coach of Lost Souls. Tell us what Lost Souls is first. Yeah, so Dallas Lost Souls Rugby Football Club is a rugby team based out here in Dallas. We're an inclusive rugby team committed to um, the development uh, of the sport of rugby in North Texas. And how have you done? Well, we're a team of, um, I guess, eight years now. We've done pretty well. Yeah, they've done pretty well. You won international <laughs> titles. Yeah, we won a couple of them um, in 2016 and 2018. So I'm really proud of the team. The, the guys work really hard. So, it, it, you know, it's a passion of mine and I love them. So it's, it's been great. Yeah, I, I've always thought it was so interesting that Dallas has not only a rugby team, but a LGBT rugby team. Um, because rugby just hasn't taken off in the States like it has in Europe. Um how did this, how did that even become? And is it the only um, gay L rugby team in Texas? No, there actually are. Um, there actually is another gay rugby team here in Dallas as well, um, and uh, they play in a different um, sort of league than we do. But there's another team here called the Dallas Diablos. Um, oh, yeah. And then there's also an, there's a, you know worldwide. I think we've got over 200 clubs recognized as. Um, LGBT clubs uh, that play rugby. So, you know, we just have a, an amazing opportunity here with our team to, to travel and, you know, highlight rugby. You know, like you said, it's kind of surprising to think that we have an LGBT rugby team here. Um, and, you know, I guess it just proves that, you know, anybody can play rugby. Um, and the guys are, are living proof of that. Okay, so rugby's sort of like football. Tell us why it is, what's different about it? Yeah, so rugby is like a hybrid of football and soccer kind of put together in that, mm -hmm. in that it's physical like football um, and it's uh, continuous play like soccer. And basically it's the continuous fight for possession of the ball. That's the overall goal of the game is to, you know, you're continually fighting for the ball and you've got to score a try to gain some points. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great sport. It's, it's action-packed, fun-filled, and um, it never stops. I, I, I would I would argue that it's actually rougher than American football because <laughs> you, you, there, there's a lot more physical hitting and you don't wear all the pads. Um, well, here at the radio that, station, we're more physical and there's a lot of hitting <laughs> <laughs> than, than, than American football. So it's, it's, it looks fun, but it looks like it can be kind of dangerous, too. Yeah, you know, you know, we have a running joke. One of our slogans one year around with our tagline was, "We wear no pads and we have bigger balls." Um, representing <laughs> the ball is a lot bigger than the football. So um, I like that. Yeah, it's sort of a pun. Um, but you know, 
as physical as it looks on TV, it's actually a lot safer than it is. Uh, it's safer than regular football, American football, if you if you think about mm-hmm. it. The concussion rates are a lot lower than that of American football. I think rugby players are coached to tackle differently in a in a safe way. Um, so while they look like they're they're intense, um, they're really well coached and and it's safer, I believe, than than American football. Oh, that's interesting to know. Oh. Because they're choreographed. <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of like you've got to wrap up, you've got to tackle the person and bring them to the ground. And there's really not a statistic in rugby for like the most yardage gain and whatnot. And so if you're running with the ball, you inevitably are going to get tackled at some point. And so as a runner, you're going to try to fight, but at some point you're going to go down and you just got to go down and you play smart. You live to fight another day, if you will and you hope that your team is there to support you to maintain possession of the ball. So it's sort of a different mindset than American football where you're just running to gain the most yardage or you're trying to make that outstanding tackle or, you know, spear hit, if you will. That doesn't happen in, in rugby. Um, it's, it's really a smart play, if you will. And do you all play any non-LGBT rugby teams? Absolutely. Yes, we do. We um, play... Um, in the Texas Rugby Union, which is just a, a potpourri of teams at different levels. So we've got divisions four through one, one being the highest, which is almost basically like your semi-professional teams. Um, and these teams are comprised of, of people from all walks of life. And, you know, we're, we're an like, inclusive rugby team, um, but many of our teams in the TRU, um, I would say, besides the two that I know of here in Texas, are all, um, are all straight if you want to say that um rugby teams Mm -hmm. so with all this tackling you're straight rugby teams okay (laughs) let's go on so so what you what you won last time in 2018 was the tier two bingham cup tell us who mark bingham was yeah so mark bingham mark bingham was a gay rugby player um he helped form uh several teams across the state here they help rugby become um, more inclusive and give people like myself LGBT um, identifying individuals a platform or, or an opportunity to play rugby he was also on flight 93 on 9-11 that's um, he is credited for helping to bring down the plane or stopping the hijackers if you will from crashing um, into the Pentagon and the plane actually went down in Pennsylvania so we have a, a tournament called the Bingham Cup, which is in memorial of Mark Bingham, and it's held every two years in different host cities across the, the world. Um, and so we've been fortunate to play in two of them, in 2016 in Nashville, and then most recently in 2018 in Amsterdam. And, um, and you won. Yeah, so we Both did. times. Uh, we've, we've done pretty well. In 2016, we were seated into the Tier 3 and came home undefeated, 6-0, uh, winning the Challenger Cup championship there. And then um, we returned to Amsterdam in 2018, and we were bumped up a tier, uh, to Tier 2, and we ended up winning that one as well, and we won the uh, Hoagland Cup, which is named after Mark Bingham's mother. Um, and it was it was quite an honor to get the cup presented by his mom. She was in, in attendance, and, and it was just a neat opportunity uh, our guys worked really hard, uh, you know, both 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 times, and I'm just super proud. And next time you're gonna get the Bingham Cup itself, Tier One, right? 
well, next time we're going to see. We're going to compete. I always ask my guys to just compete at the highest level that they can, and we're going to get ready, and we're going to we're going to try to compete. Bingham Cup was supposed to be here in 2020 in um, Ottawa, in Canada. However, you know, due to the this global pandemic, um, we had to reschedule. They have had to reschedule, and so we're targeting 2022 as uh, the next Bingham Cup. Okay, so to keep your team together, you decided to continue doing some of the fundraising, and not really fundraising, but um, stuff raising uh, events yeah. that, that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, from the day one, from when we first started this rugby team back in 2012, community service has been a foundational pillar of, of what we do, and it's something that I preach to our players, that, you know, from day one of practice is that, you know, we have no dues. Um, and so the expectation is that when we do have a community event is that you come in, you give back in some capacity. We have to be bigger than ourselves. And so we've got to uh, give back to the community and help in any way we can. So this year, since we have been able to play rugby because of the social distancing guidelines and the pandemic, we are uh, committed to keeping that community service. Um, and so we are having a season of service, if you will, um, that just, uh, I guess, culminated in our toy drive for a local school here in um, Pleasant Grove. So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great opportunity for our team to come together during these crazy times. Um, and, and we're able to do so safely, you know, maintaining social distance, um, using the guidelines of masks and gloves and whatnot, and just kind of changing the narrative of, of how we run our community events um, in the past, just trying to adapt to the current environment, but also giving an opportunity to see each other and become a team and um, still have that fellowship with our, with our players. Okay, so the fundraisers that I'm usually involved in have, were all canceled this year. So you have one coming up that we're going to participate in. And Josh, who's the president of Bethel Benaz, our board operator here, um, and he's looking like, oh, okay, you're going to finally spend that money that we've collected. Tell us about the one that you have coming up. Yeah, so we've got one coming up. Um, it's, we're targeting ending of January, early February. It's going to be a stock drive. It's going to benefit Austin Street Center. And this is a, a homeless shelter. Um, and so we're going to collect some stocks for uh, some disadvantaged individuals. You know, the socks are one of the things that they want this time of year that everyone can appreciate, especially during the cold month. And this is a, a, a opportunity to give back to um, a fantastic organization and some really cool individuals that just, you know, will be find themselves down on their luck right now. So it's just an opportunity for us to, to help out. To just collect something that is the most requested item that they get at Austin Street Shelter. Yeah, you bet. That is one of the uh, the most requested items. I mean, when I think about it, if my feet are cold, my entire body is cold, and yep. I'm kind of a miserable person. So, well, and um, especially if it's a wet winter, cold and wet, you know, just imagine yeah. that. So, we're going to be collecting some socks for you. Um, well, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you've had to change, like when you've done these in the past. Um, you usually bring in all the stuff into the uh, roundup and just pile it up on the, the pool tables. That's correct. Yeah, we usually have our events at the roundup, which is our sponsor bar. And uh, we invite the public and our players and any supporters that want to come in and bring their donations. And we sort of just 
hang out there and, you know, have some fellowship, a lot of, you know, just chatting and collecting toys, like you said, or canned goods or books or whatnot. And you can't, going on that time. we can't do it that way this year. So how have you been doing it? You've been doing the events kind of drive through. I, I just yeah, want to absolutely. give people who want to participate an idea of why it really is safe. It's not just that you're masked and, um, but it's a drive through event. Absolutely. You're correct. Yeah. It's a drive through event. We've been able to hold these events as a drive through. So we have uh, tables and, and stuff set back up in the back parking lot of the roundup. And people can just drive their cars up and we can collect them. They don't even have to leave their car contact us if they'd like to. Um, all of our players are wearing masks. We've got gloves and we're here social distance guidelines. And it's, it's been really incredible for us to still find a way to, to have these events that can help our, uh, our community. You know, we've had a Kanga Drive benefiting resource center food pantry, and which was incredibly successful. We've also most recently had our toy drive for Delphi Botello Callejo Elementary School and mm-hmm. we were able to collect over 600 toys so that each student at the school could, you know, have the opportunity to select this toy this season. And it's just been overwhelming that our community has been willing to do that, to do that, mm-hmm. have, you know, bought into it and, and said, yeah, we can come through and do a drive-through. Um, and so I'm just really grateful. Our team is grateful and, and yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, okay, so here's one one time I'm lucky that Brian will not be doing the shopping with me. Um, one of the things that we always do uh, every year is the teddy bear party. And the first time we bought teddy bears for the teddy bear party, and which the teddy bear party could not go on this year, um, Children's Hospital is not accepting any donations of that type. Uh, you know, they're certainly accepting cash donations. Yeah, but it's understandable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, uh, Brian and I are at Walgreens on Cedar Springs and they had lots of teddy bears. So we got a shopping cart and filled the shopping cart and I said, okay, let's, uh, go. And he said, I, he said, but there are more teddy bears. And I said, but the shopping cart's full. He said, but there are more teddy bears. <laughs> Two minutes wow. later, I, I realized there he is. That's my shopping cart. He had his own shopping cart and he's filling it up. And so I said, okay, uh, let's go. And he said, but there are more teddy bears. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, so I said, but this is all that we can carry. Uh, he said, but there are more teddy bears. So I said, well, let's go out and uh, pay for these and let's see if, you know, how much fits in the car. So we go to the car, uh, empty the shopping carts, go back in and fill the shopping carts again. And it was, but there are more teddy bears. Wow. But but we can't fit anymore in the car. But there are more teddy bears. But we can't fit anymore in the car. So finally, I said, there are other people who are going to be shopping for teddy bears for this party. We're not the only ones going. He said, and this was through his teeth, and it was, if one child with cancer doesn't get a teddy bear because you didn't buy it for him. Oh, wow. Oh, my So we bought the rest of the teddy bears in the store, and Walgreens was wonderful. They gave us a really nice discount because we were buying all of them. Well, well, definitely, you you can't get enough socks, for sure. Yeah, yeah, socks really are something quite 
quite um, special and, and, and that people need at this time of year. So we, I appreciate your support and appreciate your ability, your willingness to help out with that effort for us. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll certainly do that. And I'm committing Laurent to how many pairs of socks? You know, well, the, I, I've been, my family and I have been like so strict about the COVID thing. Um, so we don't get out much. But now that you're telling me this is drive through, I absolutely will uh, participate. And so will Josh. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. No sure. problem. Sure. Well, you know, when um, we invited you on, I knew that this was not an hour discussion, uh, but we will mention the upcoming uh, sock drive again before the end of the show. But stick with us, Todd, and just throw your two cents in because I don't know where this discussion's going. Um, I was... <laughs> I, I was reading uh, the Austin Statesman. Uh, I was reading a, an article in the Austin Statesman. They did their top 10 LGBT stories. And we're coming up on a break, but, uh, and we'll get to this afterwards. But I thought it was interesting that a mainstream newspaper, I guess because Austin doesn't have its own uh, LGBT newspaper. They still don't? No. Wow. Wow, that's actually surprising. Yeah. Yeah. No, I used to live in Austin, and so I uh, went to UT, and that, that was back in the 90s, and they had a pretty uh, vibrant LGBT community. Oh, they still do. So I'm surprised they still don't have a uh, a paper. Wow. Well, they did for a while. It was called the Texas Triangle. Well, and, and, and the only thing I remember when I lived in Austin, we always got the twit. And again, that was statewide. That was statewide, yeah. Um, Interesting. Published in Houston, actually, with an office here in Dallas. But um, so anyway, so the Austin Statesman isn't shy about covering LGBT stories, and they did a top 10. So we're going to talk about some of those. Some of them are very local to Austin, but we'll see if they apply to Dallas. We need to take a break. We're talking with Todd Maria. He's the coach of the Lost Souls Rugby Football Club. Uh, and I'm Dave Taffet, and I'm here with Laurent Landis, and we'll be back with more right after this. And welcome back to Lounge Weekly. We, we were we'll talk about that. Okay, so uh, during the break, we were talking about which gay bars have closed because that's one of that's number two. That in Austin, according to the Austin Statesman American, uh, in their top stories, story number two is that two gay bars in Austin have permanently closed. And have there been similar changes here? Yes. So zippers, two that I know of. There might be more. Um, Zippers, long time club. Um, I think it, Zippers might predate most of the clubs on, on Cedar, Cedar Springs. Springs. Um, it has closed permanently. Hmm. Um, and the Eagle, very popular um, a, a gay bar here in Dallas, that has also closed permanently. This has happened, this is the result of COVID. Um, I don't know of any others, but that's huge. Yeah, Todd, do you know of any other bars that have talked about closing permanently? Wow, no, um, I feel like those are the only two that I'm aware of. I'm, I'm even surprised about the Eagle, um, but I think it'd be difficult to maintain social distancing in that area. But wow, that, yeah, I'm not aware of any newer, newer ones. Yeah, most of the bars, like the Cavern bars, um, uh, S4 has not reopened, mm -hmm. but the others have opened and are operating as restaurants, so is the Roundup. 
Uh, so is Mr. Mister. Um, I guess that's the way around. That, that's the way they get around it to well, operate as a, a restaurant. It, it's not really getting around because they're not sneaking doing this. Well, yeah, they, but they have temporary license to operate as a food service uh, operation, right? Uh, in order to keep people employed uh, yeah. and safe. So, but right. I mean, but do you all know of any regular bars that do not serve food that are open? Um, no, the tin room, maybe, I, maybe they're serving some kind of food just to stay legal. Okay, but I live right near there, and that place has been packed because it's uh, gay or straight, it doesn't matter. I just don't know how you can social distance in a uh, in a bar. Well, you go in and you're seated at a table. Right. That's so get, get, people if, are not mingling. That's what I'm saying. If you don't serve food, most bars don't have um, booths or tables Tables. that you go sit at. Right. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, are, do, are any of them open? Uh, uh, no, not that I know of. No, I'm not. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're not supposed to be. Anyway, that was uh, the Austin Statesman's number two story. On uh, uh, of their top ten LGBT stories, do you know what their number one was? And this hasn't happened here, it, and I don't know that it will. But it's interesting. It's that AIDS agencies merge. AIDS Services Austin, uh, which is kind of like our resource center, uh, merged with Vivant Health, which is kind of like our Prism Health, and then the Kind Clinic, which is a clinic that's. Uh, dedicated to um, transgender health, um, opened two new locations, one in South Austin and one in San Antonio, and they merged with a counseling center, which is kind of like our legacy counseling. I'm wondering if that's gonna happen here or if our AIDS agencies are too established. It, it makes sense to merge when everybody's competing for limited funds makes the hmm. fundraising easier in that you're not, you don't have a fundraiser for each and every one of these agencies. You have an, a fundraiser for half the number of agencies. Right. Yeah. Um, I, can, I can understand the merge and have a resource allocation perspective. So now, now I'm not saying, yeah, I, and I'm not saying I have any word on any of our AIDS agencies merging. Um, it wouldn't save costs other than maybe fundraising costs. And then would you actually, would people who donate to Aid Services Dallas and Resource Center uh, and um, Legacy Counseling, would they donate just once and the same amount that they would have donated to one? Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Um, but... In Austin, AIDS agencies are merging. Um, one of the big stories of the year, of course, was Black Lives Matter. In Austin, a group formed Black Gay Lives Matter. That's awesome. It's needed. I agree. It, it, and it is needed. Um, here we have Black Trans Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And that's been a national type of thing. Um, because part of the large, unfortunately, the large conversation around Black Lives Matter did not include the L black LGBT community. 
You know, we, we, we're, we're just, we just weren't part of it. One of the founders of Black Lives Matter is gay. Mm. Is lesbian. Yeah, she is. Yeah. So that's interesting. That is that, interesting. But the national conversation around it did not include us. How could it have or what should have happened? So particularly with black trans, you know, with the incredibly high uh, um, death rate, murder rate, um, assault rate with black trans individuals, that could have easily been included with, with the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's higher than any other uh, uh, trans uh, category. Um, and what does that show, that people are so uncomfortable with the topic? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I don't know. We could do another whole hour on that. But um, I think a lot of it, or just in my personal opinion, has to do with still the reckoning between the black community and the LGBT community, period. They just don't recognize one another. Um, so that's probably part of it. Okay, so you're sometimes black, Laron. Sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, sometimes it's 24-7. <laughs> do you feel as divisive as everything has been in this country and, and probably worse in the last year? It's just e each of the last four years, it's gotten worse mm -hmm. and more divisive. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel the black LGBT community and the white LGBT community have started to finally come together more or is there more of a split and it was better? Well, from my vantage point, it seems like it, I, I don't think it's gotten better or worse. Just kind of still has stayed the same. Um, most organizations, you know, you to look at are still over LGBT organizations are still overwhelmingly white. Um, or non-black, and blacks have the uh, LGBT black community. They have their own organizations. I don't really see still much, and that's that's surprising. Um, I still don't see much of the blending. Hmm. Is that true, Todd? In um, LGBT sports as well. Um. You know, that's just really an interesting topic to consider. I've never really thought about it from a, port, a sports perspective. I'm just trying to look at it from a, a I don't know, an LGBT perspective, like just how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know, I think Lever does bring up some great points and, and I, it, this, we could spend hours and hours talking about this. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how I feel as far as if, if the community has come together or if they're more divisive. You know, the national conversation in and around LGBT rights, I think, generally speaking, ha has come together from a, a LGBT perspective, you know, of us who are trying to fight for marriage equality and whatnot and all this. But when you dig down deeper, I'm not sure where we're at as far as, you know, how black LGBT um, individuals feel, white, Hispanic and whatnot given the current or the I guess the previous administration's policies of division so that's that's something that would probably hmm. have a great show on and it's something I mean just just seeing that starkly sitting there in this list 
it's something that all of us need to be conscious of, I mm-hmm. think. It's something mm-hmm. that all of us need to do a better job of. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. I think yeah. I agree with that, for sure. I know I can speak from our team. We've, we've had focused intention to, to bring in the conversation about Black Lives Matter to our team mm-hmm. and how we feel about it and how we can support um, our team through it. Or, you know, if we have uh, a black player, like what can we do to help them feel uh, or be, you know, out, reach out to them during this time you know, when it was um, difficult. And it, it still is difficult for them, for sure. Um, so I can only speak to that. We've made some focused efforts to have an inclusive conversation, to have a Black Lives Matter conversation for our players so that they, everyone can kind of get a perspective uh, on on the current situation. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Hispanic male, uh, so I I may not have the same experiences that some of my African-American players do. So we want to have those discussions so that everyone understands like what it's like and, and, and how we can support them to be good teammates. So going back to the rugby team, that's what we've done to help with this, this conversation and, and have that dialogue to bring people together. And that, just got to start somewhere. Every little bit helps. Okay, so let's talk about your background. You're from Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, aloha. I am from Hawaii. I was born and raised in Hawaii. I moved to Texas here in 2005. And, and if, you, if you think about Hawaii, you know, it, Hawaii is a melting pot of cultures. And so uh, I, I come from a very diverse background. You know, my it's just different. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I, but I, according to 23andMe, <laughs> I am primarily Spanish, Portuguese, um, with some American Indian and some Puerto Rican as well. So, do, you, do you know um, how your family got to Hawaii? Yeah, uh, actually I do, because if you think about the history of Hawaii, Hawaii used to be um, plantation-owned or operated, really, where mm-hmm. sugar cane, B&H sugar was the big industry. Um, and so what you needed, you had these wealthy landowners and, and sugar cane. Um, bringing, they needed employees to work on the, you know, work the plantations and so that's how we got a diverse mix of people coming to Hawaii we've got people from various trades Portuguese coming over you know people from Philippines coming over people from Spain coming over each each having their own type of skill set that would benefit a plantation owner um, and so that's really how we sort of became the melting pot of the 50 states mm-hmm that's, that's interesting. It is interesting. How, how many generations back does your family go there? Do you know? Oh, uh, four or five, maybe. Oh, okay. 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 So you, yeah. your family was there a long time. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. 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 Uh, by the way, uh, uh, happy belated birthday. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, okay, so going back to the Austin Statesman's list. List. What else do we have? Um, the next one was the Bostock decision. The Bostock decision was the one, it was three cases. One of them actually was from here, uh, the Zarda case, where a gay man was fired from his job because he was gay. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he was um, an instructor in a skydiving school. Um, there was... The one Bostock that uh, this case is named after, uh, he was a um, softball player on a gay softball league. And when he joined the gay softball league, Clayton County in Georgia, uh, where he worked, 
he worked for the county. The county fired him. And then there was Amy Stevens, I think was her name. Uh, and she worked for a funeral home. And they fired her when she came out as trans. I, I guess they were afraid that she was going to upset the clients in a funeral home. <laughs> and because she didn't work with actual living people, she did the makeup and, and helped so, so, prepare yeah, the body right, for... Right. Yeah, so... Of any job in the world, if you're worried about... Right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, anyway, the Bostock decision, I think, is actually almost, in many ways, more important than the Obergefell marriage equality decision. Because it, it can affect more people. It, 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 I, I agree. But we need to be clear what the Bostock decision was. It was not a decision ruling if... LGBT people had the right to work. Could they? What it was was, it was an argument. Should the existing language in the um, employment discrimination law did that already protect us? And basically, uh, based on the word uh, "sex," and was the sex uh, already cover us? That was what the argument was, and they agreed with us. And I was surprised by the decision. What was it, six to three? And written by um, and written by um, Neil Gorsuch. Roberts. Oh, I thought I thought I thought um, Gorsuch. You're right. Gorsuch did write it. He did write it. Which is shocking. Which is shocking. Gorsuch is one of Trump's appointees. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I think. And I was surprised because Roberts joined in also. Roberts joined in also. And Roberts was was so against the marriage equality decision. Do you know there's a difference in some people's minds when you're talking about equality? There's a difference between the right to work and people getting married. Because marriage involves sex and sex is icky. <laughs> Working, doing your job especially, you know, with two lesbians on the Supreme Court anyway. Um, Laurent is going, don't even go there. Let's not go there. <laughs> okay, with two single working gals okay. on the U.S. Supreme Court. All right. <laughs> um, I think that they realize people have a right to work as long as you're doing your job you know, I'm sure Elena Kagan never brings her personal life to the office because she's always been very discreet about her personal life. I mean, the, the most she does is she belongs to a women's softball team, which has nothing to do with whether she's lesbian or not. Uh, Oh, my God. So maybe we should invite her to come on as a guest, and we'll just we, ask her. We should. We should. So, um, anyway. It was an interesting decision. I'm glad for it. Um, I've been waiting to see, are they actually going to change the federal language to say sexual orientation yet? But I, I, I don't, I, they have not. They don't have to because the Supreme Court ruling said that sex, which is covered by right. Title IX, uh, or Title VII uh, for employment, uh, sex covers, covers us. sexual orientation and gender identity. It, so 
you don't have to add something when it's already there. So the Supreme Court ruled that when you're talking about sex discrimination, you're talking about it includes things like sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, it, it's yeah, I, you're I, adding extraneous language by including by adding certain things. And interestingly enough, the new, the most recent Supreme Court um, edition, Amy. Um, uh, thank you. Um, she she wasn't on the she she wasn't on the bench at the time, right? Um, but she did um, write something her opinion on on this very matter, and her opinion was that she thought that was a strain on the text to interpret sex covering us, sex covering sexual orientation and gender identity, and the word just having the word sexual orientation and saying it's not included under sex is saying, okay, sex, but it doesn't include this, it doesn't include that, right? It doesn't include gender expression. Well, how do you think people are, 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 how do you think women especially, well, men also, if a man presents as too effeminate, if a right. woman presents as too butch, oh, well, she must be a lesbian, we're not gonna hire her. right? Oh, he's too effeminate. How can he represent us? And and you're discriminating if you forget forget the um, if they're too butch or too feminine. If you find out that your employee is a woman and her partner is a woman, and then you discriminate against her, well, it's based on the sex of her partner. That is sex discrimination. There you go. We need to take another break. Uh, Todd, you're still with us? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, um, stick with us. We have 10 more minutes after the show. Uh, we're ending the show at about 10 of. That's so that we can be responsible, do the right thing, wipe down all the counters, change the windscreens on the mics, and be as safe as we can here at KNON. Uh, we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laron Landis. On the phone with us is Todd Maria. He's the coach of the Lost Souls Rugby Football uh, Club. And he's just joining us right now for a general discussion. But you do have a fundraiser or a, a, a thing raiser coming up. And let's yep. just mention that for anybody who didn't hear earlier. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. We do have a soft drive. It's going to be a drive-through soft drive at the back of the Roundup Saloon. It's going to be benefiting Austin Street Center, and it's going to be at the end of August. I'm sorry, end of January, first week of February. Um, so just pinning down the date, but look for us there, and there'll be more to come on that. Um, hopefully, we can see some people just drive through, drop off some socks, and benefit some uh, individuals that could use um, some warm feet this year. And I know that you will, but just let me know, and we'll announce the exact time and date and location. Uh, Absolutely. The week before that, so that people have time to run out to the dollar store, pick up some nice, warm, thick socks for people living in a shelter. Yep. Thank um, you. Okay, so we're going through the Austin Statesman's top LGBT stories of the year, and their number five story really got to me. 
That was our loss of Monica mm. Roberts. Yeah. I find it fascinating. Her obituary was in the Washington Post. It was in papers around the country. I just think of her as Monica, who came into Dallas a couple right. of times a year, would come on our show, and I'd go next door with her to Cindy's from next door to our old studio. Right. We'd have lunch after the show. It's amazing. They called her a journalistic giant. Yeah, who knew, I mean, like you say, we knew her on a personal level, um, but who knew how massive her reach was? You know, and I worked with her also professionally whenever there was a transgender murder. If it was here in Dallas, she'd contact me and, you know, it was, what do you know? If it was um, somewhere else, I'd contact her to get the information. She was great that way. It's interesting that all of these mainstream newspapers saw her that way and saw mm -hmm. the importance of what she was doing, and she can't be replaced. I mean, yeah. she can be, but she can't be. No, she can't be. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, a big loss. Yeah, somebody else could be doing what she's doing, and uh, the closest we have is HRC, who's doing some of that stuff in their daily reporting, but... Uh, not the way Monica was. Yeah, and and, and that, that's that that's the brilliance of, of her. She was a one woman machine. Mm -hmm. She did this all her own. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, very sad. She died outside her home, so they mm -hmm. didn't identify the body immediately. Right. Um. I, I, and I mean, terrible personal loss. Mm -hmm. uh, their number six story was arts organizations and how they've been affected. Isn't it interesting that you talk about arts organizations and immediately it's a top 10 LGBT, LGBT list. <laughs> but here, well. here locally, the Corral has just been devastated and they've been doing what they can. You know, doing, Todd, what your team has been doing, you have a season of service. That's kind of what the Corral has been trying to do, too. Well, you know, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Dior. I, I was just going to say, you know, just on, you know, think think about on on a national level. Um, look 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 at Broadway. It's been devastated, mm -hmm. absolutely devastated. So yeah, it's everywhere. Uh, Uptown Players, mm -hmm. the Women's Chorus, uh, Water Tower Theater, which isn't particularly a gay organization, but has always been run by, uh, you know, the artistic director, executive director. Uh, traditionally have been gay in those organizations. Um, you know, and just devastated. And I mean, I, the best hope. I'm getting part two of my vaccine tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll have to talk more oh, about that up there. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the AstraZeneca trial that Prism Health is uh, running. Um, nice. Have you been vaccinated yet, Todd? Because you work at Children's, right? Yes. I have not yet at present, but um, hopefully soon. There's a, we have a tier strategy of how, who we're going to vaccinate, and um, and so I'm I'm hopefully going to get that soon. Awesome. So you're tier two. I'm like, actually like tier four. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, the team is tier two. You're only tier four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. Isn't it nice to know how valued you are sometimes? <laughs> how did they determine who got who's in what tier? I can't. I don't know the, the actual you know, algorithm that was created to, to kind of develop that. I know that uh, frontline workers, people that are providing direct patient care 
to patients and families um, are definitely first in line and as they should be um, in our organization. So um, I, I don't provide the actual bedside care to uh, individuals at this point. I'm in administration, so um, I, I definitely I'm, I'm okay with the strategy for sure. And um, I'm just thankful that I, I will get an opportunity at some point to receive the vaccine. And um, I'm glad that our frontline staff are, gonna, are going to or have already been vaccinated so that we can um, kind of get this under control here. Yeah. Um, at uh, Children's, you're doing the Pfizer vaccine, right? Um, I'm actually told that we're getting a Madeira. Oh, you're doing the Moderna. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you heard what the uh, reactions have been? Have there been bad reactions to it at all, or have you haven't heard much of that at all? No, I have not heard very much of, of it at all. So um, I'm just looking forward to um, getting the vaccine myself, and then um, I'm happy to report you to you how I felt about it. Um, I feel very confident in our in our ability, to, you know, from the FDA to make this approval. And so I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to be a part of this vaccine or, or even the trial that like you're in to just go ahead and try and do that. That would be something that's going to be helpful for the, our community and for the world. And when I'm talking about reaction to the vaccine, I'm talking about actual physical reaction um, because for two and a half days, I was nauseous. I had low grade fever. Uh, I had aches and pains and nausea and dizziness. Really? Oh, yeah. And what was interesting was I got the vaccine at about 10 o'clock Monday morning, and I was laying down Wednesday evening. And at 7 o'clock, I just kind of lifted my head up, and I said, oh, the headache's gone. Oh, I'm not nauseous anymore. Hmm. Oh, those aches and pains are gone. And other people who are on this trial I've talked to, have said the same thing, that it's just as fast as it came, that's how fast it went. So it's good to hear that on the Moderna and the Pfizer, there haven't been those kinds of reactions. I'm glad I got it. And I don't know that I officially did. I could have gotten the placebo, but that would have been an odd reaction to a placebo. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, hmm. I mean, we've been getting reactions it's supposed to be a better vaccine for um uh preventing spread so in other words the moderna and the pfizer seem to protect you from it this one actually helps protect you from giving it to anybody else if you happen to have been exposed to it anyway um the other stories because we're just about out of time the other stories on the list have to do with the elections and the number of lgbt people who've been elected uh, this year, uh, and this one we have to get somebody on. Maybe Aisha, who's on the uh, oh, yeah, State the, Board right. of Education, mm -hmm. uh, will come back and talk with us. Um, the sex education syllabus has been updated, right? And it includes nothing about LGBT. So kids, not surprising, who are LGBT in schools will go through a sex education course and go, okay, that has nothing to do with me. Right. You know, another story uh, that's not on there. I'm surprised. That's, that's huge, and that's the death of Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg. And that affects the LGBT community, but but she wasn't. She wasn't. 
But her but decisions were. Her decisions certainly affected. Yeah. Anyway, the last two were the number of trans people who've come out, uh, such as Elliot Page, and really terrible bills that are expected in the legislature this year. Yeah. So yeah. we need to take off. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here, guys. I appreciate it. And one last I time, there's going to be a sock drive for the Austin Street Shelter behind the Roundup. Uh, end of January, we'll give you exact time and uh, time and date when uh, yeah, Todd you. and his team have set that up. For all of us here at Lambda Weekly, this is one of the last weeks I can say this. Be best. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Have a happy new year. Thank you, Derek. You too. Happy new year.